This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know what is poppin' everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Only Friends Podcast. Well, you know, I'm here with my only friends, and this piece of shit over here that's like <laughs> mocking me or something with my hand movie. He's mad he ain't got the vibes of it, but you know, my number one's in the building. He's, he's you know, he feels better. He's like dancing and shit. What's poppin', man? We, we got our own Stephen A. Smith in the building. Yo, relax, man. I, I, I will say I do not want to be... Uh, What's, what's the name? Skip Bayless? Yeah, Skip Bayless. <laughs> the angry white guy. <laughs> you have to be him by default. Oh, he's one obnoxious human being, man. I mean, Stephen A. Smith isn't too terrible. far from that as well. Nah, he's a Stewart fan. I'm down with Stephen A. <laughs> I mean, they're geniuses. They yeah, get they really paid are. so much money to yell at each other about mm-hmm. stuff they don't really care about. Well, so they're not even on the same show anymore. Yeah. Now it's Stephen A. and some other angry white guy. And on the other show is Skip Bayless <laughs> and Shannon Sharp. <laughs> An angry black guy. Fun, yeah. fun. So, when you have a formula, you stick to it. Yeah, right? they, what, they, just don't change what works. They really just branched out to make all the money. It's wild. It's fucking insane what fun, they did. Fun fact about Shannon Sharp: When I was in uh, lower school, I had a Shannon Sharp jersey because my dad was a Ravens fan. I wore this jersey the entire winter break. Your dad was a Ravens so fan strange. and his owned dad, a Steeler yeah, bar. His dad's a Raven. Well, you know, listen. He knows what works. He's a, he's smart a guy. Ravens fan, but he also likes money. Wow. I mean, <laughs> I wore this jersey for your pride two away for that whole weeks during winter break. Cause like it was cold enough in Florida where like you didn't really sweat sweat you were just kind of cold yeah, sweat keep, keep telling yourself that fucking pig pen <laughs> Listen, man, I, I respect the decisions I made when I was younger and I would not do them again oh fucking stink God. lines coming up over his head like, I'm not even sweating no, like, I, I showered but like I just kept wearing the same shirt I don't know Burke, how much money would you have to make uh, off your business to turn it into a Ravens bar Right now, not much. <laughs> to turn it into a Ravens bar. I turn mean, the Salt for White podcast into a Ravens bar. Yeah, it's, it's end of year. Well, uh, let's, say a, let's say a separate business. <laughs> tax, taxes hit kind of hard this year. Man, you know, like, like Bitcoin's 30, down. $35. Uh, yeah, not, not much, really. Really, any uh, positive ROI, I think, I think at this you point. Would, I'm pretty sure you would live under a bridge before you opened up a Ravens bar. I think bar. you might be right. Pride goeth before the fall. That's right. So they say. Uh... Speaking of a little extra cash, if you have any in your pocket and you're looking for a great way to spend it, I've got the perfect idea for you. This week's title sponsor, DraftKings, is offering an awesome deal for new customers. Sign up using promo code FRIENDSPOD, deposit at least $25 into your account, and you'll receive $50 in credits. Easy as that. The DraftKings Casino is located in Connecticut, Michigan, Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Check it out with this bonus code if that's your thing. Otherwise, download and play DraftKings Fantasy Sports, especially as the NFL playoffs are around the corner, which may include the Pittsburgh Steelers. Type hashtag sponsor in the chat and head to DraftKings app. Sign up using promo code FRIENDSPOD. Notice how I just kept going on with the read so nobody could push back on the Steelers winning out. Do you you understand how, how unlikely it is, right? Uh, I understand. Okay, like I know they, how math if, works. I'm saying if they win out, like they, they still help. need oh, a ton of help. Not a ton. Do you guys think no, DraftKings ever gets in poker? <laughs> yeah, like online poker. They're they already have a platform built up. Mm. They're like they're like everybody else. They're Just fucking waiting. waiting to launch. 
That's dope. So I mean, they're, they're like beta chance. testing and stuff like that. But yeah, they're for sure uh, on the outside looking in. That's awesome. That's um, they're poker adjacent right now. Well, the Steelers just need <laughs> the Steelers just need the the Jets to lose twice. Not going to happen. They need to the Ravens to lose three times. Not going to happen. Remaining four, or is there only three games left? Let's see. They There's need three games left. Uh, they need the they need to win out. And then they need only Chargers lose. Okay, so if, it says if the other one scenario is only Chargers lose out, Chargers have to lose out, Jets have to lose two of three, New England has to lose two of three, Jacksonville has to lose one of three, or Tennessee has to lose two of three. And then only Dolphins lose out. It's uh, Miami has to lose out, um, Jet, New England has to lose two of three, Jets have to lose two of three, Jacksonville has to lose... One of three, or Tennessee to lose one of three. Wow. So it's like, it's a lot. So they need one team to lose out, plus uh, a myriad of other playoff contenders to lose, lose two of three, right. and then also someone to lose either one of three or two. Of three. So well, I'm, I'm a believer. You're saying there's a chance. All I'm hearing is the dreams are still alive. I think the for hardest now. thing the for Steelers them. The Steelers need a lot. There's a, it says the Steelers need uh, a lot to work in their favor to overcome the. 0.3% chance they currently have of well, making the postseason. We've, we've seen one-outers before. Oh, All I'm hearing is that boy. there's a chance. It there sounds chance. as likely as football's coming home for English soccer fans. Mm. You guys were only 0.3%? I mean, I'd like to think in that tie that we played against you guys that you were a far superior team and we're right there knocking on the door, baby. Oh, you guys... No, like, we crushed I've that. said this. If, if America invested the resources, you could easily... like easily be top four i saw i saw a tweet about this by the way put put that mic in your mouth like it's a you you have to feel attacked by it yeah you want you want to see it as like you know a freshly groomed penis uh what the hell why have you you guys just there's a lot of tension in this room right it just always leads to look man again it's the end of the year taxes hit hard listen the sexual (laughs) tension in this room is crazy yeah yeah Carter yeah. and I just stay out. That's true. Just that is true. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they stopped having sex years ago. It's essentially ago. just Berkey and then when Melissa's here. It's nobody else. Uh, bro, uh, Landon's been rock hard for like eight months. Yeah, but he doesn't like. What are you talking it. about? This kid does yes, cock does. push-ups in between in between pre-production and getting on the air. I'm just doing push-ups, man. He does express it. He definitely does. Yeah, I mean, he's just uh, the frustration I, is dying. <laughs> he, He's just over there talking about his his fucking glow up, and all he's seeing are big titty anime girls in in the distance. I really you know what? You know what? You know what? Okay, okay. One. You know what I realize I don't like sometimes what? is that when someone else speaks for your <laughs> behalf, you cannot stop them. That's true. You know what I really enjoy about this new setup we have too is there's a light directly between Landon and I, so I don't have to look him in the face whenever I make fun of him. <laughs> yeah, I have is, to look at this light. Which is rather fantastic. I did see a tweet though regarding soccer that said, or sorry, it was a TikTok, and it was this guy going on saying, uh, if if America prioritized soccer the way they do other sports, this would be the, uh, what is it eight eight players on the on the pitch. 11. 11? Okay. God, so it was like, here's the starting 11, and it went through like pulling athletes from all the other sports. <laughs> I it, saw was this. it was fucking great. insane. <laughs> yeah, like, was who's going to argue with this? They're like, yeah, yeah. LeBron James running midfield. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, this guy's probably pretty fucking good at anything mm-hmm. he does. Wow. Do we just like have them start playing soccer as well as their other sports? I wish you guys did it. It'd be so cool. Tyreek Hill. It would just be like, I could. You know, my, my dad was American, so I'd actually have a team that wouldn't disappoint me. Sure. Like the English team mm-hmm. does every year. Mm-hmm. So I, I refuse to follow what, England. What does the 
what does the pay grade look like in MLS or Not is good. MLS just in America? MLS it's just, just in America. Okay, what, what's it look like uh, rest of the world? Because I know that there's oh, like dude. huge. <laughs> well, there's the outliers with uh, was it Neymar that got the Ronaldo. Okay. Even yeah. even the mid mid tier guys are getting paid. Yeah, I like, mean, if if you're playing for like Man City, I, I would say most of Man City's starting eleven are on six figures a week uh, with their top players. Like, I mean, I think Aguero was getting paid like. Five hundred thousand pounds a week at one point. Wow. Okay, how many uh, weeks are the season? Uh, that, that's fifty-two weeks. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah. And that, that, and that's before any like sponsorship deals or anything like that. That's yeah, just his they're salary. getting. They make so much money. They make like. Okay, so you're talking like an average salary of like call it eight million. Yeah, and then now Ronaldo's just been offered what was it two hundred million to go and play. For yeah, yeah, this, I like, saw that. Division. I'm just one. trying to see how it compares to other sports uh, I, within America. So it sounds I, close I, to like base. I think it honestly blows out all of them. No way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it does. Because, like, um, there's just more, like, the bottom is getting paid more. No, that can't be true. No, it does. You're talking about Man City. Man City's not the bottom. Man City's, like, one of the top. It's like the Yankees. Man no, City is a very, right, the, very not the sick pirates. team. No, yeah. no, they're not the Pirates, right, but like, they're well, definitely. What, what, what is a team that, like, um, wins its way up into the. Let's look at like, like so burn mouth. What, what are the divisions? Are like, like a, dude, B? We're, we're talking just about salary. Like Kevin De Bruyne is getting paid four hundred thousand pounds a week, mm -hmm. and that's before winning any titles, before any endorsement deals, before any sponsorships or affiliates. Wait, but like twelve. All right, so how about this? But, so but twelve million a year is is not pounds. That's fifteen million dollars. No, I thought the pound slipped. Or no, that's it's, a euro. It's even. Yeah, my bad. Uh, nice try. Nice try. <laughs> quick question. Pounds are fine. Um, Sevilla. Where are they ranked in like? Uh, that that's uh, that's La Liga, right? That's the Spanish division. Yeah, yeah that, so like that's mid tier. That's mid tier. Like, okay, so that's like playing for the Chicago Bulls at the moment. Like you just their not. average salary is two point four million. Okay, yeah. so the, yeah, man, it's yeah. probably pretty comparable to baseball. Okay, but also the average cost of living in Spain is like well, what, so that's not the point this. I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is like why the United States does not prioritize soccer and probably won't anytime in the near future because Less the money, money. Is, yeah the money is in the other sports so in order to get a lebron james to interest in soccer at age 10 true. instead That's of basketball uh, that is not true what do you mean there's no think, way there's more money so. in basketball than football dude uh, than soccer uh, I, i'm 100% agreeing with him here like, uh, I, well i'm not necessarily saying in the United States, there well, is for the, sure. Yeah, Compared, like, yeah of why? course, in, in the United States. But if you're That's comparing the to like to, yeah. the Premier League or uh, but the United the States, wouldn't be in the Premier League. It's about U.S. versus rest of world, right? Because right. now the best players in the world will have to travel, leave the U.S., and yeah. we in the U.S. prioritize football, baseball from like a fame celebrity status right, right, more right. than like soccer. But okay. like the reason why is that? Why is why is that? I because think, football and baseball are American traditions. That's just how. Yeah, a they're are. local. B uh, television rights. That's, have, that's where a, all the money comes. I have from. a real fucking big problem with this. Soccer so. was my love. I was really good at the sport. Well, and go like, overseas, get there, rich. There was no like development like here. When, when you say really good, are we talking really good? I mean, I was, you can't say there's no development here, man. College soccer in the states is actually. Pretty. I, I don't. No, I don't know how it, it compares to the rest of the world, but like it's it's definitely competitive. No, it's getting there. Like it's getting soccer is getting good in the states, but when back in where I'm from, when I was growing up, it just wasn't like. I I agree. I, it I, wasn't a lot. I think after this World Cup and and the amount of love that you guys got, um, especially with like social media content now, TikTok, Instagram, and whatnot, it wouldn't surprise me if over 
maybe not in like the next five years, but the 10 year olds of today that watch that, mm. it wouldn't surprise me if there's just like a lot of American kids now that are just like, you know what, I want to play soccer and, it, and I just see you guys crush in 15 years from now. The, the, the thing is like, honestly, when it comes to sports and growing up as like a kid in that, in the US, no one really only strictly plays soccer. It's, either, it's always football, basketball, soccer, and you always right. grow up with those things. I don't things. Really think it's necessarily that. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think that's a good point to make, but I think the, the bigger point is the, the best athletes that we see worldwide tend to come out of, uh, and maybe I'm overgeneralizing because I have so many like anecdotal thoughts in my head of, of this being true, but they tend to come out of uh, lower economic situations. Yeah. And certain sports just don't lend themselves to that. It's not that soccer doesn't. Of course it does. It's, it's the easiest sport to, to construct, right? It's just two nets and a ball. Not even nets. You can just use shoes. Right. Yeah. But, but the point I'm trying to make is more cultural, right? Like there are other sports that are really cheap to construct, such as basketball and football. And culturally, they are so much more uh, Americanized, right? So right. those impoverished kids who are trying to get out of whatever situation they're in, they see that as a meal ticket. And they see it as something to cash out where they see soccer as not that. And it's a really but tough sell. I could definitely see soccer being like the the privileged white suburban <coughs> kids sport in it's, the US. It always that's has what, been. That's what it's been. It always like, has been. In the UK, we'd literally, after school, you know, no shoes on, go and play in the rain, in the mud, in the middle of the streets. It's the same in Asia. It's the same in Africa. It's yeah. the same in like all of Europe where it's more of a working class sport. It's, it's funny it's that- It's accessible to everyone and, and like, Football is seen as the ticket out of poverty. It's yeah, it's, so it's, weird because we all come from these places, kind of. Well, no, it's funny that it flips the other way in the United States. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Soccer is very posh. Everything's right, travel right, league. You need right. a lot of money to play. It's similar to hockey yeah. in that regard. Uh, basketball is actually the... Basketball uh, yeah. is like the ticket. Yeah, it's, it's, mm, it's yeah. the low economic sport that you'll see in any impoverished area. Right. The irony, though, is rest of world isn't like that. Basketball tends to be a little bit more affluent. If you're talking about Europe or mm -hmm. uh, Asia well, or whatever. Right. And that's why, like, it's so rare to get, like, Euro League superstars that then move to the U.S. to play ball. Like, Doncic, Giannis. Less, are, like, less rare now, but yes. Right. Yeah. Prior to basketball kind of being what it is. And, like, that's why but during that the makes Olympics. Sense. Like, but that makes sense, right? Because their barrier of entry is so much higher. Yeah. They have to come overseas. Same reason why soccer translating into the Premier League. Yeah, I agree. It, it, you're just not going to get the cream of the crop athletes because there's already the barrier of entry monetarily speaking. That's yeah, why we always sure. stomp during the Olympics for basketball. Right. It's just unbeatable. Yeah. Has anybody here seen um, Welcome to Wrexham? It's a Never documentary it. on right. Ryan Reynolds opening or buying a club, I think, somewhere in Europe. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, I still haven't watched it, but I, I've, I've seen him post a lot about it and it looks really interesting. Ryan, Ryan Reynolds owns a soccer team? Yeah. yeah. I love this dude. Man. <laughs> it, and it's called Wrexham, and it's like the, the middle of nowhere UK. There's a guy from like, Sunny in Philadelphia who, uh, who went in on it with him. I can't remember his is name. Is it Charlie Day? Uh, or, it's Ryan Reynolds <laughs> and Rob... Rob McElhenney? Mac Mac yeah. McElhenney? You know that there was a season where... Amazing. Where Rob... Uh, during Always Sunny in Philadelphia was bored and just decided to get fat and yeah. play his character fat. <laughs> yeah. He just said, like, it, it's getting stale. I, like, he's shredded. I, he yeah, might he even, is. He may have even, like, cycled a few times. I can't remember. Respect. Um, but, like, there was just a point where he was just like, uh, I'm going to play my character fat this year. <laughs> like, it just seems like he should be fat for a season. And he put on, like, 30 pounds of just, like, excess weight. Uh, 
<laughs> he's just bored. He's like, you know what? Let's just let's spice it up. I want to yeah. be fat now. Play. Where uh, where's Haralabob's? Uh, Spain. Spain. Okay. And that's obviously a different league. Yeah. That's still not La Liga, but from as f as far as I know, he's gone from like the lowest tier league. Yeah. To building. like now, I want to say second. I division. love that about European sports. Yeah. The way that they do the tier system yeah. and like you just basically win your way in it, it's right. so economically well maybe not maybe i don't know the structuring of it enough to know like how much cash matters well cash plays a huge part i think that's the that's what's happened in, in soccer recently you've yeah got, you've got psg uh you have man city who 10 years ago couldn't compete and now mm. they are the best team in the world right they're just you know a bunch of oil money but it's kind of a oh so it's a byproduct of money coming in not oh, a byproduct yeah. of yeah yeah they just like got I, I a bunch thinking, of oil money and bought all the best players i in see the world i see and, i was thinking they like won their way into no, premier no, league no, no, and then no. opportunities so it's not as much of a meritocracy as it may appear from the outside Cool. yeah no it's not I, I i still like the structure yeah the promotion it, relegation is sick it is it's like the top two teams usually move up and the bottom two teams honestly like baseball off. would stand to benefit the most from that sort of structure because mm -hmm. we have so many guys humping careers in the minor leagues yeah where they're being paid fuck all and uh, i mean i don't think people understand the disparity that exists at the baseball level when you're talking about like the base salary for a rookie in the MLB is either like 500 or 750K. Something like that, yeah. And the base salary for a veteran, I think, is like double that. So like somewhere between a million and 1.5. Uh, the average like the average like triple A salary. You're making like 30K a year. Yeah, it's fucking yeah. dust. And yeah. if you're in single A, you're getting paid like hundreds of like, dollars per game. You can't live off of like playing in the minors. No, like being like, in yeah. the minors now is like comparable to back mm -hmm. in Babe Ruth's day where it's like that's your part-time job mm -hmm. and you're working like the ranch right on the side yeah. so imagine like instead of a ball b ball c or sorry a double a triple a uh pros that actually just became their own separate leagues I, it is structured that way i, I guess but the ownership is still coming from the the mlb right mm -hmm. so whether you're in triple a double a single way you're still affiliated with the team that drafted mm -hmm. you and you're just in the system right imagine if that split or, or just cut ties right and instead now we had a bunch of little cities across america that had pro teams that were trying to win their way into the mlb fuck get the pirates fuck out <laughs> they don't want to spend they don't want to spend get them the fuck they're no. gonna they're gonna lose their way down to double a i don't like that <laughs> like here's the fun why fact. it would help them if, did you know it would they, force, they, them, they to force them to spend money because yeah. they are a city and if they you, want team. if you play one um just one game in in the major leagues uh, you get healthcare for life. For life? For life. No, bro. Right. I will say That's baseball. Of, yeah. Baseball, like, man. Literally, they, they bring you up for like some emergency. Sometimes <laughs> they bring up like a, a double A catcher who's like never going to make the big leagues. But, you know, the two guys on the team got hurt and they're in that city or something. They just need to bring him over. Yeah. And then the guy just plays like he plays, he gets in the game for, you know, like an inning. And then now he has. I mean, to be like, fair, like uh, this is no skin off the back of the clubs. Of We're talking about like five k per player per year. Of course, it's not. Um, but yeah, no, I, I will say that uh, the MLB. I, it, it strikes me as so strange because I feel like it's not ownership friendly the way it's set up. But the owners are the ones who balk at the idea of a salary cap. Mm -hmm. They don't want it. Right. They they want it structured the way it is. They want to keep bolstering these contracts. I mean, the ba the baseball contracts are getting. Out of fucking hand, man. Wait, they don't want salary caps? No. Wait. So it, no, the players don't want salary caps. The players too. also don't want salary caps, but I'm pretty certain that No, I think the owners want salary <laughs> caps. I, I don't I don't 
Mm, I could be wrong, you, but you can't tell me the old white guy doesn't want a salary cap now. Or maybe it's, <laughs> maybe the small market teams don't want the smaller market ones don't want it because it's not going to affect them. But the bigger ones, I'm sure the teams that are incentivized no. to have no salary cap don't want. What do you mean sense. the small market teams would definitely want? The it. small market teams would want one. Like oh, Pittsburgh yeah, right, wants right. salary yes, caps. That's yes, how you yeah, get yeah, players, yeah, yeah. right? But if you look yeah. at the league, it's uh, it's like an even distribution of small and big market teams. Yeah. Um, you know, like the the pirates aren't the median; they're no. they're the bottom, right. the bottom one percent or the bottom five percent, whatever. So it's yeah. like uh, there's you know you start to look at like the the median teams, and they're hardly massive markets like Miami, New York, L.A. Right? Those that just takes up the the, the upper third. You're talking about like uh, I guess if I were to guess. The middle would be somewhere around St. Louis. Yeah, mm-hmm. St. Louis even right. spends money. Honestly, that's that's what I mean. So it's like they're quote unquote a major market yeah. by by all accounts. So I'm pretty certain that the ownership has also been happy to forego the cap. I, I, I think this came to be when they when they negotiated the luxury tax. Yeah, maybe. but I could be wrong. I would think <laughs> it's like the the teams like the Yankees, the Mets, like the Dodgers. Their owners would be fighting us because. Um, they just get to get all the good players. Yo, the Mets are spending some money. The Mets spent three hundred and fifteen million on Carlos Correa they over got, yep. twelve years. They got they spent six hundred million on free agency. Yo, dude, <laughs> the, you know what happened? So Carlos Correa failed his physical, or something happened with his with physical, the Giants, with yeah. the Giants, and fucking Steve Cohen came right in immediately and swooped him up for twelve years. I think for like forty-five million, thirty-five million less. The Pirates won't spend $600 million on the entire team in the next six years. <laughs> I'll take the over on six years. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'll take the over on six years. That's what I said. They won't spend it. They won't. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. I don't think they'll average $100 million a that's year. That's what I said. Yeah. Not even close. How do they get more money? Uh, like why they ha- they have, they're one of the most profitable teams in baseball. Wait, hold on, hold on. Mm-hmm. So they just don't want to spend money? Correct. Correct. That's bullshit. Their yeah. margins are too good. That's mm-hmm. fucking absolute that's, dog shit. Well, that's that's why this this idea of instead of having a minor league system, having multiple leagues where you're a threat to lose your way out of the fucking league would force them to spend. I fucking love this because that, that I didn't know that. And yeah, that, imagine that's, that's annoying. It, I, what what happens is uh, rather than there being more parity at the top, which obviously we'd love to see, but you're just not going to see it base, at the baseball whoa, level anytime whoa, soon. What's parity? Jesus Christ, Connor. <laughs> It's just the way that things shape out. It means a joke. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. like, okay, go on. I'm kidding. Regarding sports. Uh, so, you know, desire. everybody would desire for there to be more parity in baseball as a whole, but they're just not going to be. Uh, first of all, they play so many games that the variance kind of works its way out. But secondly, there's a massive disparity in spend. Mm-hmm. So those top spending teams are just always going to overperform by comparison. Yeah. But if you introduce this European league system uh like henry was talking about with soccer what ends up happening is you have a ton of parity at the bottom right and there's so much churn now that takes place that the draft has higher importance all of a sudden because it might be the difference between you being in the mlb versus the fucking b league yeah uh and secondarily now how you spend specifically in free agent in free agency isn't just about being a playoff contender any longer Right, yeah. it's about keeping your goddamn job. Yeah, and you can't, you just can't get by being the bottom three spending team. I'm so annoyed that Pittsburgh is one of the, have the biggest margins and don't spend any goddamn money on the players. Bro, they don't no. even retain retain the players that they grow. And not only that, but like this, the stadium is their park is one of the most beautiful parks in all of baseball, and it's fucking empty five days a week. 
like the the weekend stuff where they do uh you know fan giveaway stuff those games do well and if someone big is in town fireworks night yeah fireworks night Fireworks in Pittsburgh. They do. It's like it's like the the stadium is just empty for like day after day after day. Fireworks night packed. Everyone's loving it. It's a reason to get out of the city. Uh, To avoid that problem, by the way, there there are teams in the UK that um, the fans have voting rights when it comes. I've heard of this. Yeah, when it comes to like how the budgets are spent, like Mm -hmm. there's full transparency on like the spreadsheets and everything. Yeah, and the fans are like, okay, well. You know our defense is now shit. We need to invest resources into you know our young academy upcoming players. <laughs> this is fucking wild. It's great. Like imagine if that happened in, imagine in like America. Tr- imagine trusting Yinzers making those decisions. <laughs> Get this fucking bum off a of third base. They would be out. If you gave Yinzers voting rights on how to man, first of all, they would do a better job than Bob Nutting. Let, yeah. Let's just uh, yeah, let's, let's call a spade a spade. But like they would be out in droves fist fighting in the streets as to you know who's gonna start game one of the season <laughs> everything else uh, i think the packers are they are publicly they're, they're owned, publicly owned. Publicly owned companies so you can buy yeah you can buy you, you can invest in them but you can't you can decide who's gonna owner. be the head coach yeah you don't get to decide right. who's playing third base right. this week right yeah, or, yeah. i mean um wide receiver it's kind of an interesting <laughs> idea though yeah uh i would love power to the people I would love to be a part of <laughs> of, of a MLB DAO. I mean, this could we could see this happening with crypto, right? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. The MLB DAO. Yep. Let's buy the fucking pirates, well, baby. You get a pirates NFT. You just join the DAO, and mm-hmm. then you get to make decisions. Look, I just want to be part of the Discord. That's all I want to be. Yeah. Part of. I mean, honestly, though, do we ever think that anything along these lines, <laughs> call it the rele- relegation system, will ever be put into the MLB? Because I think absolutely not. It no, it's so too. It's to too. Change. It's, it's too so hard to change old white rich guys mm-hmm. because exactly. the, the system rich, caters yes. to them as yeah. is but listen i know my problem in the nfl i appreciate you saying old right white rich guys so i don't get canceled you yeah like no, I, me. I got you thank homie. you number one i mean <laughs> <laughs> that's what you it's know. all about we cover facts, all the bases here facts are facts you left me hanging when i was talking about impoverished areas but like you know, whatever. <laughs> it's fine you gotta make do it's fine that's why i'm the number one uh i know mark cuban's listening and always, always. i know my man is a yinzer at heart he's born and raised he wants the pirates i know he wants the pirates and I know he's heavy. He's balls deep in crypto. So like, but he's down bad. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> at the moment too, we all too many, too many billions to be down bad. But imagine Mark Cuban leads a public DAO to take over yeah. the Pirates that he only opens to Yinzers. That'd be amazing. So first round, yep, only Yinzers. You must, you must prove Yin. You have to. You, you know what how, you have to do. do you-, you have to demonstrate. The terrible towel that mm-hmm. you were birthed in. Exactly. We're just going There'll to be a quiz make, on Pittsburgh ease. Yeah. Uh, we're just going to make a show out of the Discord that comes. Oh my from God. The- Yinzer Discord? <laughs> Yinzer Discord controlling managerial decisions <laughs> for the Pittsburgh. You would never see anybody fucking bunt again. That's for sure. <laughs> Sounds like a bunch of Jagoffs. Oh, bunch so many Jagoffs. Jagoffs in so there making jag-offs. decisions. I was saying to you last trip that I would love to go back to your hometown with you so that I get like the real authentic I, I, American I want, That would be fun. You have no idea. I want this for like anybody we who's- should vlog the entire thing. Anybody right? who's like close to me in my life, I want nothing more than to take them to Pittsburgh for a week. Yeah. Like I think I'm it's- down. I think it's I'm genuinely down. like why I don't get into a serious relationship because I know on the back end, of that it's like all right look you're gonna come to this place yeah and i'm gonna explain to you why i love it with all my heart more than you and you're gonna look at it and say 
this place is a goddamn shithole. <laughs> as, honestly, as long as you stay in the house that we stayed in when we were in Pittsburgh, it'll be fine. It's, oh it'd, be like, <laughs> it'd be like me taking you to Benidorm. <coughs> That's just like what the UK people I, do. I, I'm sure there's four people in the chat who know what you're talking about, yeah. but I don't. <laughs> I mean, I'll I'm sure you can, you, can, you can relate. You know, it's a down bad place and people like it. There's nothing down bad about Pittsburgh. Nothing. It is I, on the up and up. I mean, they do have you, scooters. Do you like science? No. We got science covered. Do you like art? Uh, we got art. We got art. Do you know what do you know about the Warhol Museum? Yeah, huh? I know about go. Andy Warhol and his uh, okay. his Campbell soup. Okay, one born, of the most born and fucking raised, yeah. baby. One of the best healthcare systems in the country. That's right, UPMC. Mm -hmm. What do you know about falling water? Mm. Right, but what does this have to Frank do with Lloyd Wright? Fra Frank Lloyd Wright. Mm -hmm. What does this have to do with your significant other? Culture, bro. I'm telling you culture. about the culture of Pittsburgh. We were we were built. See, people think that we were just a steel city. And oh, we, and we no, were. No, no, we no, were. no, absolutely not. We were. No. Okay, no, we were no, a coal mining. <laughs> we were a coal mining steel city, but Andrew Carnegie saw something in this little gem. Okay. But th these people aren't okay. you. I can't take it. Okay, look, he came in and he said, "These are my people. These are, my these people. are the people who immigrated from 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 Europe to New York City, and they came here." At this little truck stop along the way <laughs> to try to make a better life. They were jagoffs, now they're well off. You, yeah, at the confluence <laughs> of the three rivers at point, uh, at the point, you know they what? said, hey, this is our city, goddammit. We are black and gold, and we're going to have the best goddamn sports, sports teams <laughs> in all Let's the Let's just nation. make this an entire Pittsburgh <laughs> podcast. You know, you, know Sorry, what the, you know what the issue is, though, is that Everything. none of you, like you yinzers, you did not choose this lifestyle, you know? Nobody would the choose to live us. in Exactly. Yeah. Your parents that's, had a child that, in Pittsburgh, and welcome to your you life. Do you understand? That's why we're so goddamn proud. Do you know how resilient our parents had to be to stick it out and raise children in such a goddamn beautiful place? You were sick. Man, they could have went <laughs> elsewhere. You don't know anything. Then they had hopes, they had dreams, they wanted to leave their hometown. You know what they did? They, they went, shacked up and had us instead. Right. I think they. And here you failed. are now. Here you are now, Matt. That's right. Out of Pittsburgh. Here I am now. It's it's truly horrendous. It's truly one of the most magical places on earth. You don't know what you're talking about. Listen, I would love to have a Pittsburgh trip if it I, made sense. I, I, I'm I'll here be, for it. I'm gonna take like a 50 person. Uh, <laughs> you're, gonna bring the, you're gonna bring gonna, the fucking armada to, to Pittsburgh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna recruit like 50 people that I care about enough to show them the inner workings of Pittsburgh, and we're gonna take a goddamn field trip for like gonna, a week. Yeah. You're gonna like start, you're gonna make an Instagram close friends group, and then yeah. everyone in that close friends group is allowed to come. That's right. That's absolutely right. We're all going to hang out and stay on top of Mount Washington. We're all going to hang out together as friends. No, Nova Poker said Andrew Carnegie was pretty cool for a rich old white guy. Yeah. <laughs> Some people were able to get beyond the stereotype, you know. Yeah. Uh, all right. I've enjoyed this podcast. That's going to be a wrap for me. Now we're going to take over to Landon's side of the yeah. coin. Uh, we're going to talk strategy. Yes. The only time I'm actually valuable. The funny part. <laughs> the, tortoise, the tortoise will be asleep. The funny part is this entire conversation is going to be us shooting Landon down. Mm -hmm. Cool, perfect. Like, let me tell you why theory doesn't matter, sir. Okay, we both know that's a lie, but uh, we, go do, off. we do know that it's a lie, but I do think that you and I are on different sides of this coin. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Phil. Drop in. Uncle oh, Phil's been, he's been he's been taken to the Twitter streets, yeah, and right. I gotta tell you, this is a long time coming. You gotta get that engagement for his bet. I'm I'm excited for Mr. Phil Galfon to be on the Twitter every day and I, I, I enjoy watching this play out because it's clear he hasn't used social media very much and it's clear that he cares about winning the bet so what he's doing is he's researching 
And the first thing he came up with is threads hit. Man. Chat GPT. Thread threads hit. fucking hit. So he's out here with a bunch of threads and he's doing what he knows best. Uh, poker. Yesterday's thread was, if you're closer than your opponent to executing optimal strategy, you're a favorite, right? Wrong. Here's a simple breakdown of why that is and what it means for you. Uh, so I'm not going to go into the rest of the thread. Um, we can, like, I'll reference it. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on it point by point. But um, I think this is a really important conversation for Phil specifically to start. Because a lot of us have kind of been having it in the background for many years. And I think it's very easy to uh, assume ignorance or negligence when this conversation comes up from somebody who isn't Phil. Like, nobody's ever going to question Phil's knowledge of the game or knowledge of game theory because we just understand him to be goaded when it comes to this space. Um, but for those of us who are a bit uh, less than, who are willing to have this debate in the open, it's very easy to just say like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, right? So I often get labeled as the exploit guy. Uh, even even in this thread, I replied something along the lines of like, it's nice to see you having these convos on Twitter. And he goes, I know you're always up for a good uh, conversation on exploit or exploits. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I get it. Like that became my lane because uh, I came from the live arena and there was a lot of things about game theory that I understood uh, both from my past in being a computer scientist major, I guess, uh, all the way through uh, learning this game kinesthetically that didn't necessarily add up. And when you're going through the learning curve and the growing pains of trying to marry the, let's call it the psychological world with the theoretical mathematical-based world, um, you just lack terminology for a lot of things. And it's easy to misspeak. Uh, so a lot of things, a lot of conversations had along the way will have a ton of fucking noise to them. And it takes somebody like Galfon to oversee it and kind of strip it down to the signal, right? And I think what he really nails here is that the signal is this statement that has been sold to the community for the better part of a decade is that nobody can do better than GTO. And GTO is a way of life. I mean, you know, Poppy actually fucking branded it at one point. <laughs> no one even knows if it was ironic or not. It was just a thing. Had to be. Uh, but it, it became this notion of uh, I'm going to play as close to optimal as possible and there's literally nothing you can do to combat against that. And the problem with this, uh, slight aside, I remember when I was living with Dan O'Brien, uh, Uncle Dan, he started reading um, Jonda's book on uh, game theory. Yeah, Applications of Milliman Hold'em. And mm -hmm. uh, there's a point about indifference. You know, Dan's a really smart guy. He has a finance background. So, like, the notion of indifference was very easy for him to understand mathematically. And when he picked up on that, he, you know, tried to conceptually understand how that applied to poker. And we were playing a home game together. And he bet the river. And I was in a tough spot with the bluff catcher. I'm just like, oh, I'm not... You got it this time? And he just looks at me and he goes, I'm indifferent as fuck. <laughs> and at that you really, point... You cleaned that up, didn't you, a little bit? I don't think so. <laughs> oh, I remember him saying something different. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I can't wait for you to tell me off air. <laughs> Tortoise isn't going to get himself canceled. He's not saying nope. it now. Uh, but uh, I remember whenever he said that, my immediate response was, no, you're not. You have a hand, and your hand wants me to do one thing or the other. Like, you are not indifferent. And 
to be fair, we were both kind of correct, right? In Theoryland, uh, or according to his overall range, if he played this spot correctly, or as close to the theory optimal as possible, he truly is indifferent, right? He doesn't care what I do because he's making his EV either way, right? Um, but, you know, he had read the chapter that day. So the likelihood that he was truly indifferent in this spot, probably very far off from equilibrium. So in that regard, I'm kind of right, right? Like he's probably just off on his frequencies or off on his sizings or has too many candidates or too few candidates or whatever. So there isn't truly an indifference. And uh, this, this statement that Phil makes of if you're closer than your opponent to executing optimal strategy, you're a favorite, right? Wrong. That's really what it distills down to is we weren't able to really put language to it before, but uh, we've kind of finally gotten to a point where we have a really good overview now of how theory functions. And we recognize where the most important points of failure come from, and it's the parameters, right? So every single time that we have a hand history fight, and when I say we, I mean me and Landon, uh, <laughs> Hello. It, it almost always ends up at a place where we're both correct to the parameters that we're each speaking to, right? And the issue becomes that there's no such thing as general parameters. There's baseline of what we have vision over, right? So we've, we've developed ranges to a certain degree of confidence for um, 6 max, 8 max, 9 max, high rake, medium rake, low rake, no rake, right? The level of accuracy to those ranges, we're a little bit uncertain, but we can say like that's the baseline we're operating off of. Now, what's important to understand is that even when we call something a baseline, that's still variable in nature because we're still converging on zero and we don't truly know what equilibrium looks like. So baseline actually just references to what we understand to be the default as is, right? As, as our knowledge allows for now. So what happens then at the first point of the game tree when the parameters have shifted? You can do better as an opponent or as, uh, as, as the hero by shifting off of baseline strategy because the whole strategy broke the second that your opponent is actually V-pipping 20% in a spot where you have them locked for 12. Yeah, it's true. I mean, definitely no, uh, no counterpoints there. And you can make the argument that in some spots that are range bets, so to speak, you go, oh, this is a range bet for these reasons. And having the background as to why they are, not just knowing that, oh, machine range bets, it's a range bet. But then taking into future decisions as, okay, what if I don't bet? And now my opponent has to play a line where you're, it doesn't exist in the machine, right? Because when the machine starts, even putting in ranges to begin with, it's a toy game. Like you're just playing a toy game under the parameters that we accept as the collective to be true because it allows you to inherently be like what Dan was talking about, like indifferent in every decision that you make. But when you're playing practically, it's hard to quantify and understand where the edge is coming from unless you've actually ran those spots because I was having a conversation with Melissa the other day on the couch when I was talking about node locking certain responses pre-flop, where if people aren't raising enough, you can now open like 30% from the low jack, where you're just finding king three suited and opening. 
where if someone that only has studied the theoretical side and knows that king three suited doesn't open from low jack and sees this hand, it's very easy to bucket the person that opened it into a wreck or into a losing player. Where in reality, it's just a bunch of ego from that side of, I know this toy game better than you, that means I'm better than you at poker, which isn't necessarily true. And you see this all the time when it comes to win rates or people winning and going deep in uh, large field events, where it's like, how are they doing what they're doing? Because some people are just straight by the book, like super theoretically uh, studied and knowledgeable and do what theory says and uh, live the life that way, like live by the sword, die by the sword. But slave then, to the sim. Yeah, hashtag slave to the sim, always jam the ace five. Uh, but then there's other people that have never really looked at theory in their lives and just continually get W's. So who's to say one is quote-unquote more right than the other? Because for me, I like having the background and the baseline of what theory looks like and then knowing the proper adjustments in certain spots to then make my informed decisions because otherwise you're playing a guessing game. And most of the community that have been around pre-solver era had to play a guessing game by default. Like you were talking to me, Matt, when you would do hand histories with your friends, that it was always just like a screaming match as to who's right, who's wrong, when it comes to, is this person raising enough? Is this person bluffing enough? Can I even do about this hand in the first place? Where now we kind of have the toy game as the answer and we call it the textbook, so to speak. And when you look at the textbook and say, okay, I know what the textbook does. Here's how I'm going to make more money than the textbook then you then put those node locks or ideas into the machine and see if that's equivalent with the way that you're thinking and kind of that's how the most of the ev is gained nowadays yeah i have a lot of follow-ups but uh I'll, I'll let you guys well i was just curious to to hear like do you think that's been one of your biggest struggles in the live arena when it comes to like adjusting <clears throat> from what the toy says i think for me personally uh, as of this, like this year was a pretty transformative year when it comes to the way that I saw poker. And we get strategy. it, bro. You, you grew a jawline. No, man. I'm not talking about the fucking jawline. I'm talking. Matt and I had a conversation once uh, in my room when I ran a sim. But you were uh, in a room in your room together. Yeah, because yeah, I was I was trying to explain a point before I had remote PC. Um, I ran a sim, and then he basically called me extremely egotistical and arrogant about the machine, and then. It sat with me for probably like a month before I was like, holy shit, he's right. And then from there, I was like, I guess there is more to the game than just the machine. Right. And then you kind of see it yourself too. Like I, it's, I, play, I played a hand uh, in, in the Mystery Bounty where I knew in theory my hand was indifferent as fuck, as Dan O'Brien would say. And in practice, you're just dead. Like I would... <laughs> It was a massive fucking torch to call. Like, queen, three, three, single raise pot, low jack versus big blind. Check, one big blind. Raise to two big blinds. Call. Turn king. Bet 40%. And even then, it's like, the guy has a three. I don't know how you have a king, but you do. Might right? Have multiple. Call. River, nine of clubs. Backdoor flush gets in. He jams. I'm like, oh, the suits don't really matter because no one's really finding the four or five of clubs, no one's finding the ace of clubs deuce, right? So I'm like, oh, this is probably indifferent in theory, but I'm over it and I know this is zero EV in the machine, I call and I just see king queen. And I was like, oh, this guy probably just has king queen. And 
They always have king queen. Uh, yes. So when you start calling with the queen jack when it's indifferent, in theory, you're actually just losing probably hundreds of big blinds per hundred, yeah. calling in a spot that you don't win. And you can take that and say, oh, I knew the machine was zero EV. I didn't lose any EV. But then you play the grow up game and there's no <laughs> fucking bluffs here and you're actually losing. Fuck your stupid yeah. machine. Because the machine is perfectly balanced where most people just aren't in certain spots. It, it's like... Having that live experience is probably something that uh, I mean I haven't spoken much poker with you, but you used to deal poker and like yeah. having that experience of just body language, timing tells, sizing patterns, like all that kind of recognition stuff. And I remember a hand from the World Series uh, where the guy folded like ace queen on a king queen three queen three board, and like the guy just has kings. I don't know if you guys oh lefty yeah lefty and yeah. like. I didn't know him. I still don't know him personally, but like people were saying how many years of live poker this guy's been playing. Yeah. And if you put that hand into the computer, it's going to be like, you're a fucking idiot <laughs> right, yeah. finding the fold yeah. here. But he's just like, no, like I'm aware of this spot. Like I know that the computer says cool, but I've also played thousands of hours of live poker and I'm, I'm confident enough in my adjustments. A lot of people just, just like, don't bluff, man. Yeah. That's it, well, man. Like, when there's money on the line and we're at the river, they the just not bluffing. Like the computer is playing against yeah, the computer, the right? Look at and this you're hand, playing man. against human beings, so... Just like folds ace-queen. Like, there, yeah. There's another hand similar to this. It was from PCA 2019. <laughs> I, I know exactly what uh, hand you're talking it, about. It was... Yeah. Uh, I keep wanting to say Faraz, but it wasn't. It uh, was Anastas and Polychronopoulos. Mr. Polychronopoulos himself, where he had... I believe ace is full versus ace queen on ace queen queen. Right. Yeah, river ace. And the woman folded ace, uh, the ace queen facing the river jam. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is not because uh, of it being a counterfactual to what the machine would do. Obviously, this is just a tremendous overfold in theory. But I bring it up because she doesn't necessarily know that. I don't know what her background is. Maybe she's like insanely fucking studied and grinding PO 24-7. But from my vantage point, having like watched the hand play out and hearing her speak and watching her play as she goes through the tournament, I would have assumed she was a rather newer player who won a seat uh, or, or right. maybe satellite yep. in. With that knowledge, what you have to understand is she doesn't have the, the, the skill or knowledge that the machine has. And to some degree... None of us do, right? That's kind of the overarching point of all this is that, okay, here's an extreme example where this woman may have never looked at a sim and has no idea how much EV is being torched by folding literally the best hand you'll ever have on the river there. Yeah. Uh, and if you like take it to the furthest extreme of somebody like, uh, you know, a, a young up and coming Bowie effect who's just a fucking crusher, right? And knows a lot about most of the sims. Uh, now he can never allow himself to fold the ace queen because he just knows too much, right? But the fact of the matter is, the gap between what the computer knows and what somebody like Bowie Effect knows is still just as wide as the gap between this woman and Bowie Effect, right? And when that exists, when those blind spots are so ever-present, we have this whole other fucking world available to us that this woman is a million times more in tune to than a Bowie Effect, right? Mm -hmm. So what she lacks in technical knowledge of the game, she gains in experiential understanding of people. Right. And uh, Athenos is no fucking slouch. He's an excellent player. 
but he just doesn't have a bluff there. Anastasios. Right. Or Anastasios, right. Yeah. My bad. So, so much Greek in this name. Anastasios <laughs> Polychronopoulos. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, you know, she's able to tap into, uh, you know, however woo-woo you want to get with this, call it an energy field, call it like picking up on a vibe or crystals. Just, just even seeing that the actual flow of the hand is so foreign yeah. that it doesn't make any logical sense. She folds literally the second nuts. Yeah. And correctly so. So it's like, there's something to both of these worlds. And I think it comes from just being humble enough to acknowledge that no matter how fucking good we get, the gap between us and what the machine can do is so goddamn vast that we can no longer ignore the human side of things. Yeah, I had this um, thought experiment with, uh, with the boys, if you will, where we say, if we put Piosolver in this tournament right now, do we think that Pile Solver and call it simple preflop, call it Munker, right? So you have all the tools wrapped into one machine. Right. Do we think the machine has the highest ROI in the tournament? And we all collectively say no. 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 Yeah. Right? Because there are some spots where you need to node lock the machine to not call. Right. It's like there are some spots where you fold range. Yeah. in in live poker mm -hmm. right and we kind of call that the well i kind of call it the good hand bad hand type of way of playing poker where you see a line you see the way things are going and the bets that are put in and then you just think to yourself before even looking at theory like do they have a good hand or a bad hand and you start there right and then using that as a guide you then start making more decisions when it comes to your bluff catches when it comes to the decisions you want to make in a hand because sometimes like the machine will do something based off of blockers and card removal where in practice sometimes people just tell you what they have yeah i mean that was the That's that was the point, yeah. that was the onus of phil's thread he basically said like um you know what happens if joe bets ten dollars into a ten dollar pot a hundred times against miss optimal versus against uh miss zero calls and uh, the whole point is if Joe's bluff frequency is too low, he gave him 20% here for betting pot where it needs to be 33%. If it's too low, what ultimately ends up happening is Miss Optimal loses $200 and Mr. Fold loses $0. So massively overfolding when somebody is under bluffing just immediately neutralizes win rate, right? So you can naturally just do better in a yeah, spot where your opponent is positioned into having it. And uh, I think what... What that does a great job of illuminating is how poorly we actually study this game. And when I say we, I mean collectively as a community. Obviously, the people who are elite are elite for a reason. They figured this stuff out on their own, this conversation that we're having amongst peers. And they understand how to do this for themselves. They may not put it out to the community. They may not uh, translate it very well into teachable material for others coming up. But the elite get it either unconsciously or consciously, they're extremely competent at this. If I told you that every sim you've ever ran in your entire life was node locked, would you believe me? Yeah, okay. I, I would. Can you tell me how? In the sense of like what we're deciding is real, like we're like basically every sim is a toy game, right? Every yeah. sim and everything that I look at. So to put this in more simple terms because uh, I think there are a lot of people who aren't familiar with how sims are created or even what node locking means. But uh, effectively, what ends up happening is when we use these EV calculators, call them simulators, uh, PO solver, whatever the case may be, uh, 
uh, we're putting in a set of inputs and it's spitting out a set of outputs and it's trying to converge upon zero. So it's trying to make it so that everybody's decisions are indifferent across the board. It's a zero-sum game, yada, 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 right? Um, but the fact of the matter is, as Landon pointed out, it's a toy game. It's an abstraction of a spot. So if you were actually able to visualize the game tree, and we'll never be able to do this because it has so many decision points, more right. decisions than atoms in the universe. We say that so flippantly as though we even know what a fucking atom looks like, but it, you can't even see with a naked eye, right? Essentially infinite. Right. So it's effectively infinite. If you're able to actually see this infinite game spawn out before you, when we run a sim, we are literally taking one grain of sand and calling it a complete strategy. Yeah, it's, tr it's truncated by right. a lot. Right, so like we've now reduced this infinite game tree down to like a grain of sand mm -hmm. uh, and, and calling that like, you know, the completed vision over the game. And this is what people truly believe. Like game theory, GTO has allowed us to have full vision over the game. It's like you literally understand a speck of it. Uh, so the reason why I'm saying that every single sim you've ever ran is node locked is because you entered the preflop ranges. You, 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 you put the parameters in yourself. Correct. You, you just, even under just assumptions. Just right. Even if, assumptions, even if we yeah. limited the game, uh, so like you can run a limit hold'em solve, right? It's still node locked right. because you still gave it ranges, yeah. right? There's just no way a to run. A little closer, but not nowhere right. near where it needs to be. There's just no way to run sims where we can allow the ranges to be fully open throughout the whole process and converge upon hands that make the most amount of sense almost like retroactively because right? you're, you're even node locking at least for myself and uh good players as well you node lock your own strategy sometimes too because you look at a preflop range and then you have to be honest with yourself and be like am i opening this pure am i calling this dubet pure am i playing these combos in this way Right, and then you start making little like deviations and assumptions because you're trying to play the strategy that you are going to play yourself. That's more important than like having the idea of what the machine does by a default. Like if I was only going to run one sim for a spot, I would use it for the way that I play the I play the spot versus a theoretically uh, based range. But I run two sims always as to what perfect theory looks like so I can get better and improve myself and then run my strategy because now having the baseline is important versus the elite right but having my own strategy is also extremely important right. as to my clairvoyance of the but game it's, it's very important to understand that your baseline is still unique to you right it's my baseline it's not the baseline no of no, no, no I'm not even talking about unique to your strategy I'm saying mm -hmm. it's unique to the way that you ran what you're calling a perfect sim Right, it's not perfect because you're now limiting bet sizes, you're adding different things. You can't have the AI just play the spot for you. Right, well, I, I guess the whole point I'm trying to make and the one that I think Phil was obviously trying to make uh, at the onset of this thread is that uh, across the board, we can't even arrive at a simple agreement upon baseline, right? Like we cannot, as a, as a community, uh, we, we are no closer to knowing what the perfect equilibrium for button versus big blind spot looks like right uh we're converging we're we're constantly getting closer but my range that i input will look different than brian's range which will look different than landon's range and you know maybe there'll be some uniformity across the way if a big chunk of us all buy that range from range converter and just like call that the bible of ranges now yeah and utilize it as such but that doesn't mean that it's right it just means that it is Right? It just means that it's used. Uh, and the second I think that we get lazy enough to... Because here's the thing. In order to actually study this game deeply, 
you want to be able to start to default some things. You want to say, okay, these are the five sizes that I use, and these are the ranges that I have fixed by position. I don't want to have to keep thinking about that and adjusting that and tweaking that. Otherwise, I'm never going to get to the bottom of this game. The reality is you should actually work from the back, like work from the end back. I'm never going to get to the bottom of this game. I know that. So I don't need, I actually don't need to develop these rigid strategies. The opposite should be true. The highest win rate available to anybody will be the person who runs as wide open as humanly possible. I love that. Right? I love that. That's very, very smart. I, I don't want to default these ranges and I don't want to default these bet sizes. What if I'm completely missing out on the fact that I can 10x pot? Yeah. Right? I really like that. I think that's what makes Galfon just like the goat as well. If you had to yep. guess, do you, okay, do you think what Galfon does is teachable? Yes. You do? Yes. That's very interesting. I don't think it's easily. Well, I, I say that because maybe I'm maybe I'm hopeful or aspiring for it to be teachable, because I I, I see a lot of my approach in his approach. Do you don't think that's just natural talent on his part? I think it's I think it's a high aptitude for right. this type of stuff, right. and that makes it difficult to, uh, to transpose onto yeah. somebody else. But somebody else with that aptitude, I think he could right. teach them very easily. Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't, I don't see how he just keeps disposing of these, these elite players the way that he does. Like, he's just, uh, he just must trust his gut so fucking much and his read on these situations. Man. In my opinion, it, and, and you know what, like, he's been kind of uh, open about this. Like, he, and I personally went through it too. Uh, the onset of um, COVID and, like, the introduction of, of Landon being a mainstay in my life really pushed me into this corner of imposter syndrome right where it's just like man everything that i thought i was really fucking great at i'm being told otherwise right, of course yeah <laughs> and like it's all being challenged and the thing is is like it's so great to be challenged iron sharpens iron right but when it catches you off guard because it's something that you've defaulted as being an edge it's something that you've trusted for the duration of your career mm -hmm. and it's something you weren't prepared to have challenged at this point it fucking catches you off guard, right? It's like taking a club to the back of the head and you're just like, what the hell's going on? And I think Gelfon went through that a little bit with, with Veni, Veni yeah. Vidi, yeah. yeah. Where he became a slave to the solve because he's like, if I'm going to put in mass volume against a guy who's doing this day in and day out, I need to out Veni Vidi him, right? And then somewhere along the line, he was just down so fucking much. He he's said, like, he it. said, fuck uh, it, we ball. Yeah, like, Let's go back you know to what? The basics, like, I'm man. Phil yeah. fucking Gelfond. Yeah. Like, I'm still good at this game. Why am I, do why am I playing his game? Yeah. Let's let's go into the dark corners and crevices of this fucking game tree that this kid's never even thought of. I think for at least myself, and I've gone through this like being on the opposite side of living with you, is when you have a strategy that works and allows you to preserve your ego, right? Like from sim work, I've had a win rate from playing online since I started playing poker, and it only got better with more sims and more knowledge. And when you have that as your foundation, it's easy to use that as your crutch and like pillar of arguments when it comes to hand histories. So it's like, okay, I've learned through this with a win rate of X, and this is how I see the game. But then when you start to realize maybe there's a better way that is intertwined with your own. You don't have that perspective until somebody gives that to you because you have what you think is the Bible and the be-all, end-all based off of where I got to then. 
Right. Because having all of that success prior, why would you then bite the hand that feeds you? You know? But then once someone tells you, hey, maybe you can win more if you think about it this way. And it takes a lot of screaming matches sometimes and shouting yeah, it's, matches. It's, it's uh, and, being open to, to new perspectives, right? It's like yeah. the beginner's mindset uh, approach <laughs> to life. And if you apply yeah. that to poker, I can see things that, that Matt talks about that I, I, I'm so confident that if, if you implemented, would help you massively. And the same vice versa. Like there's just so much that you can both learn from each other. Yeah, because sure. my win rate when I first started playing online or whatever, uh, was like three bakes per hundred playing uh, 200 no limit. And then as I got better using solves, this, that, whatever, uh, ended up getting to like seven. Right. And then after having conversations and screaming matches with Matt, <laughs> having like other environmental conversations and like really sharp players like Nick, Chewy, Kevin, you know, like being really fortunate in that way. It's like, oh, maybe there's more to the way that the game works. And then I've had a double digit win rate uh, at 2K and L over 60, over 60K hands where I don't think I have that win rate with only the machine-based approach. And it's just a very interesting and intricate way to learn. And it's not like it's capped there because there's still so many mistakes and spots where maybe I'm defaulting the wrong way, where I'm like, oh, well, theory says this, and I'm not sure, but have a different personal feeling in one way or the other where it's still worth something. Yeah, I, I think the last thing I want to I touch on in this subject, and then uh, you guys can close it out, is... The way that I see uh, progression in this game and and acquiring knowledge is uh, kind of like an hourglass. When you first step foot into the arena and you start to learn the rules, what beats what, and uh, gain what you feel is some level of an aptitude for the game, uh, it's wide open, right? Like there's there's nothing clouding your vision. It's just uh, a matter of like which of these infinite paths in front of me do I want to take? And it's kind of the fire hose approach where you just have so much information coming at you, whether it's kinesthetically or through peers or through study material or whatever. Uh, you're just like taking a fire hose to the face of as much of it as you can possibly handle and whatever absorbs, absorbs, and that will help dictate which of these paths you, you start to narrow in on, right? As you progress and you develop the mechanics, you develop the bankroll management, you develop all the intangibles and things of that nature, you start to funnel yourself into this tightly little position or niche arena that exists within the scope of poker, right? And within that little niche area that's unique to you, you have your win rate, you have your specialty, you have uh, your secondary game that you feel comfortable playing, you have uh, all of the lifestyle things that come with being a professional. And you have some level of both clarity, I think, and uh, security in this position. And what you believe is happening is not the hourglass, but rather uh, more of a globe-like uh, approach where all of that wide open space that you've navigated is now beneath you. And you're touching the ceiling right? Like you, you've just peaked and every one of us has gotten to this point in our career where we feel like I'm accomplished. I've made it. Now it's just about collecting dollars, right? I've learned what I need to learn. I've progressed the way that I need to progress. I will always be profitable in this game moving forward. Sure. I'll keep adding tools to my tool belt and improving upon my arsenal by just staying sharp and listening to those around me. But I'm as close to the top of whatever my ceiling is that I will be. And for many people, that's good enough, right? 
So when it comes to the actual training sphere or uh, being an educator or being a student, uh, it's pretty important that uh, you see this hierarchy that way, right? People start to teach when they reach that level of, call it the top of the globe or you know the middle of the hourglass. And the people who are learning are the ones who are getting firehosed that want to drill down on a specific path. They're saying, show me your path. I don't care about the infinite other ones that I could take. I trust you as an educator. Like, lead me down your path. Right, you're influencing their path. Yes, and for some, that's great. For others, like, it's a disaster. The true reality and what I think, like, is reflective of Galfon is that it's not a globe. It's an hourglass. And if you work really fucking hard and you challenge yourself intrinsically and you question everything to your core that's gotten you to the point that you've gotten to, as well as all the math involved that the community so flippantly has defaulted to obvious or defaulted or whatever, you know, GTO as, as we call it. If you challenge all of that and you're willing with maybe a small collection of peers to say like, you know what, I am willing to say that I have no answers and a bunch of fucking questions and I'm going to hypothesize my way higher in this game. What ends up happening is you start to sneak your way through that little bit of the hourglass and come out on the other side and see that it's vast again, right? It's just limitless. And now you're seeing that with a totally different perspective than when you first entered the hourglass and it was all boundless in front of you, but you were lost and confused and didn't know which path to take. Now you don't need a path any longer. You're established, right? And all you really care about is curiosity and fulfilling the mind. And at that point, you become a truly good educator. And it's why Phil has established the way that he has in this industry. It's why Run It Once has always been the, the premier training site and mm -hmm. why he's so surrounded by such greatness and talent whenever it comes to both players, teachers, peers, friends. Like, you know, look at the people that he's surrounded by. They all have that infinite mindset, right? And that truly is kind of what the beauty of poker is. It's, it's so flawless in that way. Yeah. So, uh, Uncle Phil. Yeah, uh, poker is just one of those games where you're never going to be perfect, so to speak. And that's kind of what makes poker perfect as is. All of the best players um, are extremely inquisitive by nature. And even though it seems like they have everything figured out and looks like they have all the answers and all the sizes and all the check-raising strats, after every hand or every, every literally almost every hand, there's always that back of their mind of, is this, is this right? Did I, did I do the right things? Uh, did I see this spot the way that I'm supposed to see it with my range, not just my hand? Because sometimes you have very easy decisions on some boards. Where it's like, oh, I have bottom set. I'm just going to check raise, get all the money in as fast as I can. But what about when you have the fringe hands? How much do you think about check raising, check calling, floating, leading turns on certain ones? All of these other things are just added into the game as a whole because the game is so infinite that you can never have the perfect answer and every situation is different. So always being inquisitive and always thinking about how you can get better and spots that you maybe think that you know very well mm. is kind of the key to improvement as a whole and being able to teach in the first place because you can have your perspective that's gotten you to where you are, but it's not going to be where you want to end up when you're tr truly striving for greatness. I think a lot of people fall into the trap of just like putting things into a standard hand bucket as well. That makes sense. Like they'll either be results oriented and be like, okay, I won the pot. Okay, I played it perfectly or I lost the hand. I'll look at it later. But there's so many like 
standard hand spots like button v big blind or whatever it is that just get it overlooked and as you mentioned if you just take a bit of time to be take a step back and review a lot of those spots you end up realizing that you're making a shit ton of mistakes and you're leaving a lot of ev behind as well and you can just plug a lot of that stuff by putting in a bit of hard work for sure yeah i, th I think the tone of the community reflects that too like there was this this like wave of uh gto being the answer the end all be all whatever the whatever you want to frame it as the marketing aspect of it and there was like this deep freeze for like a 12 to 18 month period of time where everybody was just certain that the disparity between the people learning this new strategy and those who weren't was insurmountable. And then I think like we came full circle. It's almost like the the bell curve meme of the person saying like uh, they don't bluff enough, so I fold. And then getting to like the wizard on top saying like, well, the minimum defense frequency here is thirty three percent, and I have like dead center of my range, and this hand's <laughs> supposed to call at a twelve percent frequency, and I have the king of spades in this situation, so I call. Oh, they don't bluff enough. I fold, and then on the other side of it, just like the wizard saying, you know, they don't bluff enough, so I fold. Yeah, yeah. of course. Uh, yeah. It really does feel like, and that's always going to be the case. We're always just peeling back the onion, right? Like we're never going to get to the actual core. We're just constantly going to be ca asking more educated questions and trying to uh, better understand the unlimited nature of all of this. Uh, but like for me personally, like it's it's done so much to revigor. Uh, or reignite my curiosity mm. when it comes to the boundlessness of it all, right? Like, for a while, I just chalked it up to, like, well, Deep Stack No Limit is going to die because according to the solvers or tools, like, whatever little bit we can actually see, they just want to kind of, like, check down to the river and then be all in with, like, a polarized range. Like, that's the way, you know, the equity threshold is so fucking high to invest money whenever you're at an SPR of like 300. Yeah, boards become scary. Every board is scary, right? Every board contains sets. If I don't have a set, no set, no bet. You know, it's right. kind of that way. It's like, right. you just see like a ton of like really strong hands, over pairs, top pairs, like just playing a lot of defense, right? And the mm -hmm. game gets very defensive in nature. And when GTO first was packaged in 2015, 16, this is what we saw. We saw a lot of overcorrection to protect ranges, specifically checkback ranges. There was a lot of passive play. We kind of called it a defensive strategy, right? Mm. And now that we've unlocked a lot more, we see it going extremely offensive, right? Like a lot of overbetting taking place. Uh, we understand like where we can challenge uh, calling thresholds whenever we're able to bet like 5x pot, 8x pot, whatever. And now I realize like, well, we don't need the solver necessarily for a thousand big blind poker. Just need to mash pot. Or at least uh, wait for our opponents to mash pot, right? Because like what ends up happening in human land is you can take the most studied people. Some of the, some of the, some guys that I would not want to sit a uh, hundred big blinds effective in a live cash arena, I would happily sit a thousand big blinds. Effective. I know exactly the types of people you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know exactly. They're just fucking brutal. Yeah at how crisp they are pre-flop, at how great they are at knowing when to polarize post when there are 100 big blinds effective. Right. Right? They just play three and four bet pots perfectly or, you know, perfectly in accordance to what I can defend against. But when you 10x that SPR, they're on an island because you can't just run the same tips and tricks, you know? You have to have the all-in button available at all times, even whenever the SPR is 100. That's, that's, there's so many streamers. I, I can't 
I don't want to put anyone on blast, but there are a lot of streamers that I know that will sit out the moment they have 120 bigs. Yeah. And they'll just rat hole. Yeah. Put them on blast. Put them on blast. Put them on blast. Put them on blast. It used to be a thing. I'd just be like, what are they doing? But then I would, I'd find myself getting put in the blender when I'm like 300 bigs uh, effective playing against like Elis or something. I'm like, oh, okay. Elis is just like floating way wider than he normally would against me when I'm 100 bigs effective against him because he knows he can just bin me on most runouts right. over turn or river. Right. And I'm just, I'm completely lost on the river when there's 100 bigs in there and I still have like 250 bigs. Right, and that's why, that's why I say like the, per, the, the, the guys who are like very technically sound at 100 big blinds but aren't really grounded in theory. And what I mean by that is that they are... Um, they're, they're, text, they're textbook players. Yeah, they're very, right, they're very right, good right. at execution, but they're not quote-unquote theorists, yeah. right? Somebody showed them all the nodes, and they're great at being able to lock that in, yeah. right? Why, why there's so much win rate available whenever you make them sit a 1,000 blinds effective is because it doesn't translate one-to-one, -one, right? Like the hands that are polarizing in a three-bet pot uh, at 100 blinds effective are like one pair type hands. Right. The hands that are polarizing in a three-bet pot at a thousand blinds effective are like hands drawing to the nuts and only hands drawing to the nuts. You know what I mean? Like there are spots where like sometimes you even have to delay with some of your set holding, similar to PLO. Yeah. Because the probability of being set under set when all the money actually goes in is so much higher because the thresholds change so drastically. You know, people are supposed to tiptoe around these big pots. Yeah. But the beauty of live poker is they fucking don't. Oh, dude, when you see Terry Tupair just getting 500 <laughs> bigs in with bottom set on like a queen eight deuce rainbow board, you're just like, okay, strap in, boys. Right. We're going to win a lot of money today. Right. Like, let's go. Right. And it's very easy to say like, oh, obviously that's a fucking mistake. But like, go sit in a game with Eric Persons and tell me you're not putting in every fucking chip in front of you with bottom set. Right. Of course you are. Yeah. yeah. And like the times that you lose a 2000 big blind pot because he had top set, you just shrug it off and say yep. like reload. Yeah. yeah for sure. You know, like this man just jammed Jack four high on fucking <laughs> 10, nine deuce. Yeah. In a four bet pot or a three bet pot, like for thousands of, you know, like what are you going to do? It's, it's all relative to, your strategy versus the counter, not your strategy in isolation, mm. right? You don't get to just dismiss what's happening around you. That counter strategy is so critical. I mean, you can, but sure. you'll lose money doing that. <laughs> yeah, you'll right? miss out on a lot of win rate. Yeah, or you'll just, become, you'll just become a spot. Like literally, if you start paying off in some spots where there's no, there's no win or EV to be had, you can be super studied, but if you're not able to adjust, you could just become dead. Yeah, I think the way that it actually happens at depth is what Henry described, where uh, you know your seabed frequency is closer to uh, shallow stacks than deep, and you just get absolutely caged because this person is just floating range. Because fuck you, we're yeah, still gonna get that's to the, literally it. It's yeah. just the fuck like you. Like we're still gonna get to the turn at twenty SPR. What right. are you gonna do to me, yeah. right? And now like. Even when you have good hands and you want to polarize, it's like, okay, so I'm out of position. SPR is 20. 2E here is 5X pods. <laughs> it's like, how do we proceed? You know what I mean? So it's not clean and it's not as well defined as the strategies that have kind of evolved over the past few years. And to me, that's exciting. Like that's, 
That's the way the game will always trend. I jokingly said this on stream in 2017, and Colpoy still like fucking brings it up <laughs> at random all the time. But I basically said like, you know, if the game persists the way that it is with all the tools available, uh, we'll just all end up playing like five ten no limit with uh, ten thousand big blinds in front of us. Mm -hmm. Like the biggest game in the in the casino could conceivably be like five ten, but everybody's buying it for hundred k. Yeah, obviously that's not gonna happen because uh blinds and antis matter but it conceivably could like you could very easily see a 510 uh 1k any game it's and uh have that be the case it is mm -hmm. pretty funny because it seems as if the inverse sort of happened to you when you're playing your high stakes game and then it kind of turned into a tournament <coughs> like you just had 300 bigs but then straddles went on and now you have 20 bigs yep. and you're just playing infinite dollar pots for not many big blinds just like spinning the wheel and praying that you're the one that gets chosen pick me yeah. pick me and guilty you you weren't chosen we've all been there pick yeah. me pick me if please. you play live poker that shit happens please pick and me and it's just like your ego will not let you stand up from that game well that's also because it's always the best fucking <laughs> yeah. spot of course it's just like there's no fucking way i've come to play this game and now that they're making it bigger i'm not leaving. it's not your ego it's your brain it's just like man this game's good. Yeah, uh, any I game where it's, where it's 10x the stakes that you sat down for, it's probably for a reason. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a just cause behind it. There's right? like an, it's not directly proportional, right? When it comes to game being good and win rates being had, as well as understanding how much of the time you actually win, right? Because it can be the best game in the room and your win rate is higher because the stakes got bigger, but you might lose way more because the variance just got jacked up. And now you have to just pray that you're the one that holds or gets the good hand in the good spot. I mean, I just, a, lot, a lot of people, I think, that are in this spot kind of just understand that, though. Because it's just like it turns into a tournament thing. They do understand it, but it's tough whenever you start to play so big that like you don't have reloads. Yeah, and it hurts. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, of course. But, like, yeah. It's well, just... because now what ends up happening in some spots is it might even just be in like a real life sense an irresponsible spot to play if you can't just sell out to make a maximum reload well yeah it's right? probably always going to be irresponsible it's like, fun being people. on the other side of it though like when you're a high stakes player and you go sit in a 510 game and you turn it into 510 20 40 80 knowing that you have <laughs> fifty thousand in your pocket and like can just keep covering the table over and over and over and over again until like a bunch of five ten players who are like playing up because the spots in here wailing around. Right. You're just like, oh, I can just outlast these guys. Right. Yeah. That's when you become the alpha. Yeah. Been the yeah. the one two PLO. Six flex, oh, bro. Yeah. Love that. Alpha, <laughs> alpha, alpha PLO, Lord Henry. That's right. Kill the I game. Wish. I wish. Kill the game, Bane. <laughs> All right. So to wrap this conversation, uh, basically what I said in short was that nobody plays theory. Uh, <laughs> nobody plays optimally. Uh, and everybody is playing exploitatively. Also, the biggest game in the room will be five ten. No, that's big blinds. Dude. Fuck, fuck you and fuck Cole. <laughs> uh, withered. Get the fuck off of Twitter, man. Get a life, Christ. Uh, no. So um, I, I'm I'm saying this half jokingly, but uh, the reality is that we have a very poor definition of what theory optimal actually means and what exploitative actually means. Uh, they're very much one and the same as far as we understand them and uh I, I think that's kind of the big takeaway here is that uh study according to your your questions rather than according to whatever has been standardized because whatever standardized today will be fucking trash tomorrow 
And if you don't believe me, go back and look at some of the game theory videos from 2016. See what their inputs were for ranges from under the gun, under the gun one. That 5% probably isn't coming through all that often any longer. We see a little bit more V-pipping going on. Uh, on that note, we have a few announcements. Uh, we have one more seat available for the February Academy. Came open. Uh, we had a cancellation. So that's February 2nd? February 2nd to, to the, the 5th. 5th. Poker Out Loud Academy. Uh, four days of study here in Vegas. We will spend two days on strategy construction, teaching you a lot of the concepts that we spoke about here today. Uh, and two days of full gameplay, eight-hour sessions where you will be put under the microscope to speak your strategy out loud in real time when making decisions. Uh, you'll have that study tape to uh, utilize indefinitely moving forward, and the coaches will all provide commentary to uh, each hand that's played. So you'll have a bit of a reference point for things you do well and things you need to further look into. The most value from that is the opportunity to come and put Landon Tice in the absolute blender. <laughs> like if you're ever going to come to the academy, obviously you're going to learn a shit ton, but just having the story to tell over the dinner table mm. that I put Landon Tice in the bin... <laughs> invaluable you can't put a price on that guys okay. i like i like the in the bin man i yeah, like this I, 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 I was like ooh, that's good i uh i was big on caging people back in like mm. 2012 age i uh taught it to russell thomas that was my big contribution to his final table <laughs> was teaching him how to quote unquote cage people um we will also have new academy dates uh from march we're going to finalize those we'll have those out hopefully tomorrow if not uh when we get back from <laughs> christmas break Finally, don't forget to head to the DraftKings app. Sign up using promo code FRIENDSPOD. When you make a $25 deposit, DraftKings will give you $50 in credits. That's code FRIENDSPOD only at DraftKings Casino. Link is in the description below. Sign up today. On that note, you know Con what? Conrad's going to carry us home. You know what? Let me give one. I was thinking about it while you were speaking about the theory exploits. I kind of sharpened it in a sentence. Okay. The best players use theory to sharpen their exploits. Mm. That's where I'll go with that. Mm. GG's land and ties. Put it on a t-shirt. Okay. I had to stop the, in, the, the outro for that. Wait, that so we need two new t-shirts. ICM is for poor people. Uh huh. That wasn't okay. even my statement. With the, <laughs> with, the, with the Only Friends podcast. I will fucking wear that. <laughs> I will wear that to every event. Every live stream that I do. I every, anyone, that. Henry, what is ICM? What's ICM? ICM is for poor people. Don't worry about yeah. it. <laughs> That's my commentary from now Give on. Give me a my... graphic. I'll put it in the shop. That's fucking great. Let's do it. Gotta get an emote. Well, that's gotta be an Ivy fucking <laughs> quote. <laughs> well, thanks for rocking with us again this week. We'll be back tomorrow, I believe 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. Sorry. 10, tomorrow uh, at 11 a.m. 11 we'll a.m. Secret Santa tomorrow. Oh, oh, we're doing a Secret Santa. Yes. Who do you guys think I got? What do you think I got them? I can't wait to get my presents mm. from all of you guys. <laughs> I'm not saying a word. All right. Well, you know, we'll be back. We'll figure out who got who tomorrow, who, what presents are given. Seems like it's going to be pretty fun. I'm probably going to get a fucking towel. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. Thanks for rocking with us again. We'll be back tomorrow. Later. Oh, my God.